lot of people try and tell us that there's one right answer. I think by acknowledging that there's no right answer and there's many right answers, I think that takes away some of the pressure. Welcome to Design Makes Everything Better, a podcast about design as a process for making decisions and succeeding. Today on episode three, part one, Vince interviews Omar Gandhi, founder of the accomplished Canadian design firm, Omar Gandhi Architect. Now here's your host, Vince. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in to Design Makes Everything Better podcast. I'm your host, Vince. This is the first part of two conversations that I've had with Omar Gandhi. If you are checking in on this, you probably have heard his name before. And uh, this is a really good way to get to know a lot more about his process, the office, the influences that they have, where is the profession going, and the relationship that they have with their clients before and after projects are long finished. It's really interesting to hear about an architect as young as he is to have arrived to the credibility and success that he's seen and uh, remained all together very much humble. He's a tremendous guy, and I think you will really enjoy the conversations that we've had with him. Thanks for checking in. Hi, this is Brendan, producer of the show. Quick note, a couple of times during the interview, Vince and Omar mentioned Brian. They are referring to Brian McKay Lyons, a well-known Canadian architect who is founding partner at McKay Lyons Sweet Apple Architects and a professor at the Dalhousie School of Architecture. Okay, enjoy the show and see you next week for part two. Omar Gandhi, thank you for joining us. Just as a little bit of an introduction on you for anybody else that might not be familiar with you, your education started at U of T yep. and then you went and did your master's at Dalhousie University. You worked at KPMB Architects in Toronto and then you spent a significant amount of time with Brian at Brian McKay Lyons Architect and Sweet Apple, pardon me. Yeah. And then shortly after that, you moved out on your own. And you had and have a storybook of success that's been remarkable. Everything from countless Lieutenant Governor's Awards, which is the Provincial Architectural Awards, Governor General Award mm -hmm. in Architecture, which is the Canadian level awards, Bricks to Rome. And uh, more recently then, you've partnered with KPMB and have been awarded the Art Gallery of Nova Scotia. If I were to script a story with a Midas touch, I don't know if I could do it as well as what you've done. How does how do you feel about all of this? What what does it mean to you? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it it is hard to believe, honestly. And you know, I think that's that's sort of one of the nice things about being at this point, ten years later, is you know, just sort of being able to say that you know, I'm a little surprised by you know, some of the things that have happened, but also it's nice to just sort of stop and um, kind of reflect on some of it because it it really all happened very quickly. And I had my mm -hmm. head down and, you know, it was, you know, it was a pretty stressful, although quick period of time. It, uh, you know, you're, you're thinking about the business, you're thinking about, you know, I, I didn't have any support or anything in that regard. So it was really just, you know, you're worrying about all the things that uh, you worry about with a small business. And, you know, there were a lot of great things that happened along the way, but 
yeah, it's been super fun. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. What, what got you into architecture in the first place? Like what brought you into U of T? Well, I first, before that I'm, I'm from Brampton and, uh, I'd say that the big kind of early shift was I decided to go to a regional art school. I had an interest in the visual arts. My mm-hmm. father was always pretty talented and kind of encouraged me in that in that world a little bit. And was he an artist? Uh, no, or? he's, uh, he's actually uh, a microbiologist and it had, mm. it, it was almost like, you know, he kind of wished that he went down that road a little oh, bit. Right. He had an interest when he was younger anyways. And so he, he enjoyed sort of teaching me and us doing that sort of thing together. And oh, cool. so I decided to apply to go to a regional art school, Mayfield in Caledon, which he had to apply for. And essentially it meant that every day of the curriculum for the five years of high school, because uh, it was OAC back then as well, art was part of, part of that day to day. Right. And so, you know, I would say that, you know, a lot of the interest came from there, art and art history and mm-hmm. even architectural history. And then going to U of T wasn't uh, my first pick, to be honest. Oh, it wasn't? What was your <laughs> no, first? Uh, Waterloo, Waterloo was where I wanted to go. Yeah. And uh, I was pretty bummed out when I got pretty cold rejected on that one. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so U of T was like both close and I commuted from home from Brampton, right. which was painful. And it was, I don't know, it's arguable whether or not it is still today, but at the time it was considered the best architectural school in the country. Yeah. The architecture program, but mm-hmm. I was actually there as part of the undergrad BA program, mm-hmm. which was like a new thing. So it was sort of a guinea pig year of like not a professional degree. Right. And so, you know, I enjoyed the people I went to school with and it was cool living in the big city and all that sort of thing. But I would say that my move out here, not knowing much about the East Coast or Halifax, it was, I think, one of those classic tales of just wanting to get away from home. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Right. So yeah. that this was the furthest that you can get within Canada sort of a thing? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It was a program that was respected and it offered a master's degree yeah. and work terms. So mm-hmm. it was sort of like a checklist of pretty cool things that yeah. it offered and it was nowhere near home. So I, I just wanted to get away from Toronto, not necessarily home like family, but get away from the huge sort of environment of U of T and, and go somewhere else. And I think the entire experience was exactly what I had hoped. It felt like I was in paradise. Not necessarily the city, but going to the school and going through the program. It was just you really a really it, hey? fun experience. Because yeah. I, I don't think I really enjoyed my time at U of T in that same way. Oh, is that it right? was very different in terms of the experience. You know, this was a place where you built things and, you know, you learn from your peers. And it was kind of a small enough group. It was, yeah, it was intimate mm. in that way after having graduated now and have had a successful career so far, has your understanding of what architecture is changed or like, what is architecture to you now? What does it mean? I think it's many things, you know, and, um, one of the things I enjoy most, I'd say about the day to day now at this stage is collaborating with friends and seeing that, you know, everyone is bringing a different perspective to it. One of the great things about collaborating with people you really respect is it always takes you in a different direction, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere that you hadn't kind of considered before. And it brings out amazing things. And the art gallery was one of those. And we'll, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get back to that later, but just sort of, I think that's real design. 
you know, when mm-hmm. you aren't sort of getting in the groove of duplicating a process or, you know, whatnot. I think it's it's about putting minds together to come up with solutions to a problem through design. Solution-based. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So you said you try not to duplicate the process. Is it duplicating a process or the outcome? So like houses look the same mm-hmm. or buildings look the same, which is something that you see all the time in a lot of architects work, right? Exactly. So, and, and I would say that that's, you know, one of the things that I'm most proud of is that mm-hmm. our work is kind of constantly shape-shifting yeah. with few sort of common elements, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would say in that case, the process is the same. You mm-hmm. know, we have a process that we go through, but that process always means that we get a different result because we're actually observing and actually kind of using kind of data or information that is going to take us in a different direction. Like really examining the properties of a landscape Mm -hmm. and really listening to people, Mm -hmm. you know, the client. I think with that process, it also allows us to work in different places and come up with totally different things, but still have a way of going about it. It's without a doubt you have attached a brand of of work to your office. When clients come to you, are they looking for that process or are they looking for the outcome of the work? Another one of the things that I'd say makes me happiest is that we're sort of at a point where we can be selective about the work we take on. You know, it's like it isn't necessarily money. It isn't, it's like creative control, right? Mm-hmm. And, and flexibility. It's a remarkable place it, to be. It is the greatest thing for a creative person to yeah. be able to say no to things. And so what this means is that because we have a small team, because we can pick the projects we work on, it means that people who want something in particular aren't necessarily the right fit. People who come with very fixed ideas aren't necessarily the right fit. You know, I'd say that the kind of client that we're constantly in search of are the ones that are open to going on that journey with us. Hmm. We don't know where we're going. They don't know where we're going, but we're all just really excited about it. It isn't about motifs or, you know, any of those kind of repeatable you know, formal formal, moves or anything. I would say that what ties the products together is an inherent interest in something that could only exist where it is, you know, and in this period of time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we often use the word adaptation as kind of the defining term for that process where we take a local precedent, something local specifically to that area that is almost like a weird you know, feature or, you know, something that makes it stand out. So if it's in Toronto, it could be in Cabbage Town. It could be, you know, there are things in that neighborhood that make it different and kind of searching out to try and find what some of those elements are and then really exploiting it. So I I always like to say that, you know, with at least our urban work, I always imagine our project being like the weird kid in the family. Right. So it's, it's related. That everybody loves. Yeah, that right. everyone. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, maybe, but you know, I would say that it's telling a story about the family. It's yeah. related to everything around it, but it's peculiar in its own way. And in through that, we're telling a story. And I would say in our rural projects, you know, it's very much like 
we refer to them as creatures some of the time, where there are these sort of like living, breathing things that have, you know, a fun life of its own that are almost like, you know, that regional precedent has come to life in some weird way. Right. So we have a lot of fun. You know, the studio is, it started with just me, obviously, for a period of time. Then it was Jeff Shaw and I for a long time, just the two of us. And now it's obviously bigger. But man, we laugh and we really like, we like to be sort of really juvenile at times. You know, That's a lot great. of our, you know, formal moves come from like weird car references and, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, just having that playful approach. Can- yeah. It leads to positive outcomes in the creative environment. You know, if you come in serious and, uh, you know, upset about things and if that carries on too long, it does show up in in the work that you do. Listening to you talk about the different projects that you have, it does sound like they are like there's a similarity in sort of a geographical realm, rural or urban that has kind of um, a thread that would connect them. But it does sound like they are independent to a degree from one another to come back to Brian. And I, I, I use Brian as an example here. Just, we both mm-hmm. worked at his office sure. and, uh, he, he had a big influence on the way. How long were you there? Uh, a little over a year. Yeah. I was uh, there about a two. year and a half. I'd say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I ended up picking Dow mm-hmm. specifically because as in most architectural schools, there's usually some thought leadership that describes the philosophy of one architectural school versus the other. And what really pulled me into Dow, and I was studying, I was living in Austria at the time, and I got accepted to a few schools out in Europe, but um, I really wanted to work with Brian. Oh, yeah. And I just loved his his philosophy, and I was I really learned a lot about his work before I even came to school. You know, and I left because we, I felt like I had, taken in what I could and I wanted to do my own work. And he, we were had, we had a great conversation and right. we had a conversation once and he described his work as always moving towards a more defined center. Mm-hmm. It was a circle of work that was one project, right? And, and you can see that because there was a philosophy that he's testing and that's the similarity that you see from building to building. And I appreciated that. I really fundamentally appreciate what he's done for architecture in the city and in Canada, but that philosophy didn't, didn't sit with me. I feel that it's more valuable where the world is, is really interesting. And I don't want to test the same idea in different environments to see if how I can tune it to make it more refined. So it's not the shrinking circle, but it's a, it's a growing one. And I, I, the way that you're talking about your work mm-hmm. actually sits with me in a similar way. And I find that really, really interesting. I think a lot of it also has to do with the fear of being creative. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, being creative means and being a designer means putting yourself out there. Yeah. You know, it, and especially, you know, I think for that artist or whoever, you know, when you find a recipe and, you know, maybe you've uh, received really positive feedback. I think it's easy to sort of stick Repeat in that it. world, but you know, Absolutely. I'm Corbusier did in Ronchamp or mm-hmm. Frank Lloyd Wright in the Guggenheim, you know, like those are those examples of people taking really big leaps of faith that could have gone wrong. Yeah. 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 Uh, but that's design. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, cause uh, you, you're I a very have, confident guy, right? Like, uh, well, it's, I'm it's, confident uh, with some things. 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and I would say that that thing about putting your work out there was always something, but I think the thing is, you know, a lot of people try and tell us that there's one right answer. Yeah. I think by acknowledging that there's no right answer and there's many right answers, I think that takes away some of the pressure. The other thing is, I think, you know, where's that pressure coming from? Mm -hmm. You know, for me, that pressure exists in my own studio. I don't worry too much about the periphery. It sort of depends on who it is, I guess, but I've, I've made sort of active moves over the years. And, and I think maybe the best thing I did was when we reached our 10 year anniversary, about Mm -hmm. a year and a half ago, we made a universal decision in the studio to no longer ever apply for awards. I think that is the best thing that you could do. And we don't, we don't apply either. I honestly think that it's easy for me to do because in that first 10 years I did apply and had success. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's different if you didn't have that and you, you know, then decide, oh, awards are, you know, ridiculous. But I think, you know, having been on both sides of that coin, making that decision, it just sort of like you look ahead at people who are at the end of their career and how much they rely on that kind of feedback. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ever end. There's no end. There's no finish line when it comes to that. Also, having been a part of, you know, dozens of these things, these are not objective. You know, there's always politics. There's always favoritism. People pay for them, for one. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, no one ever talks about that. But the people who win a ton of awards, they've also spent an enormous amount of money and time. And and quite frankly, none of it really matters. Yeah, well, you know, I, I could see... Before social media was so available for any office, awards was a great medium to get your work out there. Yeah. But now you can post literally anything you want. And if it is appealing to anybody out there, then you will attract an attention. So you, you don't need awards for what I saw mm-hmm. originally as uh, as the fundamental vehicle. The The thing that I also felt was important to some architects specifically with awards is that it it kind of closed the relationship with a project mm-hmm. but an award is kind of like a nice climax right like it's yep. finished and it's a big celebration and then you can you walk away but which makes me think that you you might have a different relationship with your projects after they're done or maybe don't, can you describe what that relationship might be for your other houses and uh, public buildings like what how do they live on with you well, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have really wonderful relationships with most of them and have become, you know, friends with clients. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's always a weird thing where you've poured everything into a project that, you know, isn't yours, obviously. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a bit of both. Maybe it is like, it is really nice to go over and it is really nice to see it and see that, you know, people are happy and they're enjoying things mm-hmm. that you envisioned. Also, it's difficult like many creative people to not see all the things that you wish you did differently. Mm -hmm. Not, not that there's large things, but things that, you know, there is no perfect project. It's very difficult for me at least to look past that sometimes. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the, the harder part about a house because it, when it's done, it's done. It it has a sort of organic quality about it afterwards when people start to live in it. And I think it's important that it 
can be livable and adaptable to a degree, but you have to be able to live with the mistake. And I think that's another example of where the kind of validation that comes from awards Mm -hmm. is, you know, not in line with what makes something successful. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's in, you know, traditionally, I would say that you know, one of the things awards did was it was a way to bully validation. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know, and it's sort of like, well, it won an award, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, I know, but yeah. the whole roof is leaking, eh, but it won it won know, an award, right? Or it's a totally. way to classify oneself within a community, you know, and that was part of the decision for me. I want to cheer on my peers. I don't want to be competing against them. Yeah. I think that that's, that's a really refreshing way to think of, of your work and and awards. You've been doing some work in hospitality and I'd like Mm -hmm. to hear a little bit more about some of the restaurants and stuff that you've been doing, because I see them as so much different than a home with a restaurant. The way that we approach it is that it's a design that is going to be a business decision. This is not an aesthetic exercise by any means. It's a brand that is supposed to motivate their customers to come. So it's not even in many cases about the owner. It's this is what your customers will need and want for the brand that it is. So it's it's this completely different relationship in the process that you have with residential work, as I think most people are most familiar with that. Do you approach work in restaurants differently? And does the design work that you do have a different meaning to you and to their customers? Or clients? Well, first, before I say that, there's nobody, there is no firm that's existed around here or in Canada that's done what Breakhouse has done uh, in terms of hospitality. You know, like, I mean, Uncommon Ground changed everything in this city. Jane's, Edna, you know, like just to name a few, but like those are kind of the archetypal projects that were responsible for changing and making a place. Thank you. That means a lot to hear from you, but thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Well, and, and I think that they are different. You know, we haven't done anything here in that world, but in Toronto, we did Lady Marmalade in the East End. And, you know, I'd say that, you know, the biggest difference between that and our houses is, you know, it's intensely urban. We're dealing with, you know, a building that was over a hundred years old. You're dealing with angry neighbors and, (laughs) you know, accessibility bylaws and things like that. So, you know, there are a lot of, I would say, factors that start to shave down on what you can actually do. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's almost like those parameters start to limit the, at least in the case of that restaurant, which was like pretty narrow, the parameters itself kind of boxed it in. And then it was about doing everything we could do to make a place memorable. And in that case, it was about taking a three-story brick building that was really long and narrow and allowing for as much light as possible that came from above and cutting floor plates Mm -hmm. so that you could see up three stories in certain parts. So I think it's different because it's about king kind of memories for people. You know, and that's the thing, like, like I'm talking about uh, the work Breakhouse did on those restaurants. You know, when I think of Halifax, I think of places like that. And so I'd say that the ambition, as opposed to a recently retired couple with their kids that are no longer living in the house, you know, this is about a community now, Mm -hmm. a community of people like yourself and people completely different from you. So, you know, I think it's, 
for me, the approach is about a unique experience, but it's still architecture. So I would say it's, it's also telling a story about a place within all of that. Mm -hmm. Do you spend a fair bit of time with owner of the restaurant or with the, the chef to figure out what kind of food is going to be purchased there? What, what's the experience going to be? Or is that something that you, you drive fundamentally? Well, for Lady Marmalade, it was such a well-known place to begin with. You know, in that scenario, it was about coming up with a space that was very different, but didn't take away or compete with what they were known for. So, you know, really sort of enhancing the warmth Mm -hmm. of that experience. We're working on another restaurant now, which is in construction, you know, horrible time to open a restaurant, but Maddie Matheson's restaurant in Toronto on Queen West. um, What's the restaurant called? Can't say. I can't say. Okay. I can't say anything about any of it. Yeah. All right. But I can say that, you know, in that case, it was a very close relationship with him. Mm -hmm. He's Uh, a buddy of yours, right? Yeah. He's a buddy of mine, but through this, you know, he kind of approached me out of the blue. I didn't know who he was at all, but everyone in my office did. Yeah. He's an interesting character, right? Yeah. 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 And, you know, we've become really good friends over the course of like the Mm -hmm. last three or four years that we've worked on it. But it's a different animal. It's a different sort of thing altogether. And um, that, that particular that kind spot, of, that or kind of work, process, that, that kind of that work. Kind of work. Yeah. yeah, for yeah. sure. And I think that's why it's harder to do is you can't fundamentally repeat yourself. Otherwise, any one restaurant as a business, if they all start to look the same, that's right. If they're working for you, they you're you're not going to get many more jobs as a result. So it has to be unique to that business. So that's it's right. A, it's an interesting process. I'm really surprised you haven't mentioned uh, that I worked for Breakhouse. For- <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's I know, the end. I know. I I didn't want to necessarily. Well, it was obvious. It was to- an amazing week. Right. Yeah. It was such a short period of time, and I know that that's the only reason why you got the art gallery, buddy. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It uh, it was a very short period of time, but uh, you certainly are. There's a relationship that you have uh, with our office, or I would say we have with you and the fact that you're across the street from us. We see you driving by our window all the time and we, you know, you're a buddy for us. And and absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For 10 years. I mean, it's, we've been side by side. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Hey, where do you see the profession itself going? Like what, what is architecture for architects as well as the, uh, you know, the public and in a few years from now, like what do you, what's in your crystal ball? I think collaboration, you know, that, that really is sort of the most exciting thing for me, at least is the idea that people who specialize in different things, mm-hmm. different expertise working together to produce something that is, that wasn't foreseen, you know, those sort of surprises. So really sort of stepping back and thinking about the fundamental role or promise of design. And, you know, uh, you know, I, it's hard for me to not reference Bruce Mao, who's, you know, mm-hmm. a real sort of hero of mine. Yeah. And just the way that he talks about design and, you know, even the thing about awards, you yeah, know, he called right. that right off the bat, you know, it's just, it's not good for you. He's been a, a guiding light for, for us as well. His uh, top 10 rules of yeah. creativity, you know, keep a messy desk. So you cross pollinate and exactly you know, it, it, some of those things have been very much 
things that we we talk about. You know, what I'm curious about, and one of the reasons why I asked about, you know, the future of, of architecture, there is quite literally clients that would show up and say, this is my Pinterest board that I've created for right. this particular house that I want to do or this restaurant. Can we just do this? Yeah. Right. Is that part of its future? Like anybody can pick up SketchUp now. That's right. It's so ever present that mm-hmm. it's not about the skills necessarily right. that you have. Right. So is it the insight only? Is it the collaboration? Like what? Yeah, I think it is collaboration. I think that, you know, maybe some of it is the ability to see through all of that. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things about that client, whoever it is, who has that Pinterest board and who's active on Instagram, they will inevitably spin out of control because mm-hmm. there's so much to look at, so much like beautiful work to look yeah. at that it's, it's you know, without the kind of grounding or roots of a clear idea, the possibilities are endless and unclear, I think, in, in the same way. So I think that maybe ideas strong ideas and strong narratives will become more important. The other thing, you know, with, you know, building equality in the profession, I would say that people who traditionally didn't have a voice because they were spoken over by the loud man, let's say it, who had all those awards, right? Because that's a tool for oppression in the profession. Yeah. It's going to take the profession in a different direction and I think a much more interesting direction because the loud voice isn't necessarily the one with the best idea. That's not always the right one. Often it isn't. I can see that that's hopefully a a direction of of architecture in, in the future. We have this sort of fear of opening up the gates to anybody else who could do something. Could, mm-hmm. should do it. So I'm not afraid of the Pinterest board client that comes in and I just see it as an opportunity that, you know what, maybe we can help them make a decision to help them move forward because they will undoubtedly spin out of control because yeah. it's just endless. It is endless. Stuff, right? yeah. Well said. I think we can leave it at that. <laughs> that was good. Thanks a lot Thank for you. your time, Omar. It was great chatting with you in this way. And, oh, this uh, was really fun. Yeah. Thank we'll, you. Uh, well, hopefully I have another one after this, maybe. We'll do a part two or something. Yes, exactly. All right, Omar. All right, thanks, Carl. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Design Makes Everything Better podcast by Breakhouse, a Canadian strategic design firm. This was part one of episode three with Omar Gandhi of Omar Gandhi Architect. Stay tuned for part two next week. A full transcript and show notes for this episode can be found at breakhouse.ca slash podcast slash 3.1. If you like the show, help us out. Subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app and share us with your friends. Have feedback or ideas for the show? Drop us a line at podcast at breakhouse.ca.